you can read their correspondence. They were great letter writers, the Roosevelts. And and you know, in one game, the the son uh, broke his nose, and. And, and broken noses were pretty common back in those days. I mean, if you played college football, you pretty much broke your nose at some point. You know, they were not wearing um, they were not wearing uh, helmets. They weren't wearing face mat. You know, they looked like rugby players. There were there were there was very little in the way of protective equipment. At any rate, uh, the son uh, broke his nose playing football, and he wrote this letter to his father saying it happened. And he was and he, and he said and he said and you know I got right back out on the field. Right. He didn't let that. And, you know, he he, he, he was he was tough. He, he, he wanted to tell his dad, I was so tough. I, I went back out and finished the game. Right. And Roosevelt's response to this is at once proud that he has this boy who is that tough, but also worried and then relieved when the season's over that that's as bad as it got. This is John J. Miller of National Review Magazine, director of the Dow Journalism Program at Hillsdale College in Michigan, also the author of the book The Big Scrum, How Teddy Roosevelt Saved Football, and you are listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life, you can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today I'm excited to bring you John Miller, and John is the director of the Dow Journalism Program at Hillsdale College and writes for the National Review, the Wall Street Journal, and other publications. He's also the author of the book, The Big Scrum, How Teddy Roosevelt Saved Football, which is going to be the focus of our conversation today. Mm-hmm. And I read this book multiple times throughout college and grad school, and I used a lot of its sources for uh, my papers that I, I wrote. So I'm excited to have John on to kind of talk about the culture of football and how it evolved and uh, how we got to where we are today. Uh, so, John, can you start off by telling us uh, what inspired you to write the book? Hi, Kevin. So uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh I wrote the book because I, I, I discovered a story that hadn't been told, certainly hadn't been told properly. I'm a I'm a professional writer, and as as writers are wont to do, I'm always on the lookout for great stories, preferably great untold stories. And a number of years ago, I was sitting in my office at National Review in the Washington, D.C. Bureau, right across the street from the Library of Congress, and I got a book in the mail. And it was a, a history of the NCAA, and I was just kind of flipping through it. And I saw a reference early in the book up to uh, a statistic that in the year 1905, 18 people died playing football. And that was all it said. It was just making the point that football was violent in its early days and so on. But it had this, had this, had this number in this year, and I never heard that before. But there was a footnote. And so I went and looked up the footnote in the back, and it had a source, and and one thing led to another, and I found myself across the street at the Library of Congress, and within a few days, I'm going through old microfilm newspapers, and I'm uncovering this this amazing tale about the birth of football, uh, which has been told. There 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 are plenty of histories on, on, on about football, but what what I discovered is. Um, that 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 President Theodore Roosevelt was was instrumental in the birth of the forward pass in in a role that had mostly had not been acknowledged. And when it had been acknowledged was was riddled with errors in mythology. 
And so as I was going through these documents, I, I, I just immediately sensed something, there's something to be written here. And one thing led to another and uh, it turned into a book. And a great book at, at that. And I know I could tell that a lot of work went into that. And I spent some time in the Library of Congress in D.C. as well, because that's where I went to grad school. Um, so I know exactly where you're, where you're talking about. Um, can you kind of take us through, you know, what those early days of football look like? And especially it, the 1905 year that we that you just mentioned about having 18 deaths. And I, I think back to now that I feel like 18 deaths is about the range of deaths that football sees to this day, you know, uh, in terms of the number of athletes who, who suffer life, I guess, fatal injuries. And I was almost one of those statistics uh, back in 2007. But now there's millions of people who play. So can you kind of paint the picture right. of what the well, early days look that, like? Yeah, that's a great point. So so, so you're, you're right that that I, I don't know how many people die playing football nowadays and, 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 and so on, but it's, 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 it's rarer than it used to be. And it's especially rare when you consider many more people are playing today as compared to a hundred plus years ago. Uh, it's millions of kids every, every fall weekend playing football. And although football was, was, was quite popular at the turn of the 20th century, it's, it's not what it has become. And, and, and there are many fewer people in America and so on and so forth. But football is a fascinating story. Uh, it emerges shortly after the Civil War when, 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 when team sports become popular. They, they start to explode following the U.S. Civil War in the 1870s and so on. There are a variety of reasons for this, but you know, there's no football before the Civil War. There's no baseball either. Well, the game starts to develop in the 1870s and 1880s. Uh, it had to be invented and it evolved. It didn't, it didn't start out as the game we know today. It started out with a game that looked an awful lot like soccer, frankly, and then it started to look a little bit like rugby and more and more like our modern day football. But it wasn't until uh, after the 1905 season, he actually had the forward pass because because uh, in the early days of football, uh, there were no quarterbacks, there were no wide receivers, there were no first downs. All this stuff had to be invented over time. And it took a couple of decades for, 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 for them to do it. And, and it was the development of the forward pass that really made football, American football's big break from its, from its rugby-like backgrounds and turned into, into the sport we know today. And this is intimately connected to the problem of, of violence and brutality and injuries. And as, as you noted, this, this is a big problem today. Uh, the, the problem with concussions and the long-term health effects of head injuries and so on. This is the biggest story in football right now, and it's been going on for years. Uh, when historians look back on our own era in, in football history, this is the thing they're going to be talking about. They're not going to be talking about who won the game last night or who wins the Super Bowl next year. They're going to be talking about this phenomenon, this trend, what happened to football, what was the controversy, what did football do about it? Did football survive? Did football thrive in the aftermath of, of, of this new information and knowledge? That's what they're going to be talking about. Well, as, as we 21st century Americans grapple with this problem, I think we can look back on football's history and see that f football had a problem with violence and injuries and fatalities more than a century ago. And, and what did it do then? It started changing some of the rules. It made the game safer for the athletes and at the same time more exciting. I don't, I don't know if we can do that again today, but I think we can learn an awful lot from the past. 
I think that's an interesting point that a lot of the same arguments, you know, 100 years ago are the same things we're talking about today. And yes, the, the game has evolved, but obviously it may need to evolve further. And uh, I have a weekly podcast with my buddy, uh, Josh, who we talk, we talk about all the injuries that happened in the NFL and how they could have possibly been prevented if the, if the NFL was responding to them, you know, in an appropriate manner. Um, and, you know, kind of what we talk about is like, you know, I, I think part of the changes that they could make that would keep it safer would also make it more exciting and higher scoring, and that's like when people get excited anyway. So I think that's interesting that, that you, you mentioned that. Um, so in the early days, like, what were people so drawn to football? And I know there's a lot of backlash, like, er, in the early days, and people were trying to, you know, uh, abolish the game, and but something ke- kept it going, and I was just kind of Wondering if you could kind of explain, you know, what what that that part of time was like. Well, football is just just it's just a fun sport to play and a fun sport to watch, isn't it? I mean, today this that's definitely true, and it was back then. It was a little bit different. People, you know, the ru- rules were evolving and so forth. But it's just it's, it was just becoming tremendously popular. I mean, that that is the fact of the matter. You know, you go from you go from the 1870s when when a couple college teams would play and they'd get a few dozen spectators to the 1890s when they're selling out big stadiums and you get Thanksgiving Day football and 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 big matchups and 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 really the whole country, um, the whole country watching some of this stuff. But at the same time, uh, people are looking at this sport and they're attracted to it because of the violence, right? Because it's a rough sport. That that's part of its appeal. But they're also noticing that there are some problems that come along with it. And you're seeing injuries. You're seeing fatalities. And a number of people start to wonder, is this worth it? And you wind up having in the 1890s into the first years of the 20th century, you get this social and political movement that says, you know, football's a problem. It's too violent. It's dangerous for its athletes. And we need to ban it for their safety. And when you when you look back at what they're saying, they're using words like evil to describe football. They're saying this is this sport is evil. Too many people are are getting hurt and even dying. We need to ban it. They compared it to gladiatorial combat in the Roman amphitheater. And they said they said, you know, there, there, there was a time when 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 we abolished that long ago. Um, and maybe it's time to do the same thing here. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously glad that they didn't and things were evolved. Like, And I know uh, President Roosevelt had a lot to do with that. Um, but in your book, you mentioned like the progressive movement. Like what was the filter that the progressive movement kind of placed over football to give it this kind of like bad reputation? So the progressive movement was a big political, economic, and social movement that had lots of different parts to it, and it really dominated American politics in 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 the first part of the 21st century. And it's still we 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 still feel a lot of its after effects today. But in that era, one of one of one of the things it's really trying to do is is improve the quality of life for massive numbers of Americans, and you see this in things like. Uh, federal regulations of 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 food and food production and uh, labor laws and uh, the prohibition movement comes out of this period and the idea that 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 we need to we need to solve the problem of of rampant drunkenness and so on these are all aspects of the of the progressive movement well one tiny part of the progressive movement 
focused on football and they saw this sport that was that was violent and dangerous and leaving people dead and they said you know no sport is worth this we're going to crusade to have it eliminated they tried to get colleges to drop the sport they tried to get state legislatures to ban it uh, uh, they made, they had some success. They did make some progress overall. They, they, they were not winning though. And, uh, ultimately what happened is, um, football recognized that a problem and it took the intervention of, of, of Teddy Roosevelt in the year 1905, which, which also happened to be that deadly year where 18 people died. Um, and when I say 18 people died, I mean, football at all levels. There was no professional football back then, but there was big time college football, uh, there, there was football in the schools. There was Sandlot football. So that's what we're talking about. 18 people at all these levels died that season. Well, while that season was getting underway, Roosevelt recognized that that football had a problem and that this movement to outlaw it was making some progress. Roosevelt happened to love football. He thought it was a great sport. I uh, loved it for a bunch of reasons. One is just purely as a spectator, as a fan. He thought it was fun to watch. He also thought it was a positive social good. He thought he thought sports and athletics and particularly rough sports like football. He thought these are the things that turn boys into men. He said, you know, you, you, you need to become book smart. You need to become educated in all the traditional classroom sorts of ways. But, you know, it's not the only education you need to get when you're growing up. And you need to learn things like when you get knocked down, you need to stand back up. And nothing teaches that like football. And so he he really liked football and he saw it as I say he saw it as fun and, and a good diversion. He also thought it was really healthy for American boys this this rough sport. So what he did in 1905 this this year of 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 fatalities he summoned to the White House in October of that year during the football season. He summoned to the White House the three coaches from the three biggest football programs in America. And they happen to be from Yale and Harvard and Princeton. So, you know, a lot's changed since then. <laughs> but those those were the three biggest programs, the three best teams in America in 1905. He brings them to the White House and he says to them, football is on trial. And he says, he says, you guys need to save this sport. And he didn't tell them what to do. He didn't say, here's a list of rule changes. He said, he said, you guys, you know, he was not a football player himself. He was he was kind of too small to play when he was at Harvard himself. He never played himself. He said he, he, he wanted he wanted the football men to solve football's problems. So he, so he charged them with doing this. And, and to make a long story short, and we can get into the long story if you want, but to make a long story short, out of that meeting comes the forward pass, which was developed explicitly to to open up the game as they called it to to spread play across the field and make it safer it also had the the happy effect of making the game more exciting it created this whole dimension to to, to offensive play that did not exist before and that does not exist in rugby for example so it made the game at the same time uh, safer and even more fun to watch it was it was just a, a win 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 all the way around Right, because you were saying in your book that a lot of these injuries that led to fatalities, they were a lot of them were like skull fractures and neck injuries, and they were from these like scrums because all they would do is just like run into each other the, like every single time. Is that accurate? Yeah, there were these huge pileups of players at the middle of the field, and and you know we, when we think of football today, you know with the ninety-nine yard sprints and these you know these graceful leaps and so forth, you know there was some of that back then, but before the forward pass. 
it was like it was like goal line stand after goal line stand, play after play after play. So you had these big guys smashing into each other again and again and again. There'd be these giant pileups in the middle of the field. In in the pileups, by the way, there are you know guys are throwing elbows. There was you know the personal foul was actually not not an infraction at this point, right? That was another advent that came that came right at the same time as the forward pass, explicitly for player safety. Um, and then you also get these, you know, these wedge plays and so forth, where you get guys, you know, running at full speed before the play starts, and and you know, you know, hitting hitting people as bad. You know, that that actually was made illegal a few years prior to this because people saw the tremendous violence that came with that. But at any rate, um, um, you, you, the the play was by and large compressed into a small area of the field with with these guys banging against each other hour after hour, and the forward pass began to change all that. Yeah, and it seems like today it's even trending more and more towards that like spread offense, trying to just spread it out as much as possible, and it's getting you know further. Like, there's not many fullbacks left in the game because you know that's just not the style of play anymore. Right, and there's and there's still plenty of violence in the sport, right? I mean, there's helmet to helmet contact, and you see some of these you know big hits with receivers and so forth. This is not to say that you know the forward pass made football 100% safe. It's never been a risk-free sport, and never will be. But it's better than it was. Right. Um, another question based off of what you, you, you've said, uh, you know, can a sport really ever be truly banned? Like, you, you can't keep kids from, like, playing in the street and tackling each other. Like, <laughs> how, how can you even go about that and like, or, like, that- thre- threaten that even? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, if if you ban it, you might make it make it even more appealing, right? What 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 you can do though, uh, seriously, is is you can drive it out of schools. You can you can have school boards saying we're going to quit playing this sport because it's not safe for our children. You can have them saying, you know, we we just can't afford the insurance costs of a football team anymore. Um, what you also get are the millions of individual decisions of parents who want their children to to be athletes, to play sports. And mom saying, you know, when the choice is this fall, do you play soccer, do you play football? Mom saying, you know, I think I think maybe soccer is what we should pursue, right? And and so you get a kind of depletion in 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 the ranks of football. So so um um you know I think I think the threat here is 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 not all that, that football expires completely. Um, but I think when, when we're talking about, you know, across the generations, what does football look like a hundred years from now? Something like that. Is, is it still the most popular sport in America? The thing that everybody watches on, on Saturdays and Sundays in, in, in the autumn, or has it become something else? Has it become, you know, a second tier sport kind of like hockey or the MLS soccer league or something like that, right. Or something else superseded it. I, the answer to that is I, I don't know, but that's, that's the sort of, that, that's the sort of, that, that's the conundrum. Right. It's kind of hard to even imagine a, a world that football, at least in America is not uh, number one for sure. Um, you also mentioned one of my favorite articles about kind of the culture of football in your book, uh, the Malcolm Gladwell dog fighting uh, article. And right. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on it and like why were you why you put that why you felt the need to put that in your book. Well, I was trying to make the point that you know there there was this movement at the turn of the 20th century to to ban football. Could such a thing happen again today in an era of of newfound awareness about concussions and head injuries and so forth? 
and 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 can we see the the initial sparks of 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 such a movement? And 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 the answer is yes. You see a lot of people complaining about football more and more every year. It seems like and 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 Malcolm Gladwell, this this great writer, this this essayist and sort of pop science, pop culture reporter uh, for The New Yorker, the author of best-selling books like The Tipping Point and, and so forth, he wrote an article about uh, about football in which, in which he said it's the moral equivalent of dogfighting. You know, we're all against dogfighting. We don't want to put, you know, it's, it's, it, we, we don't want to put animals in, in, in combat where they fight to the death for the amusement of, of heartless people. That's just wrong. It's morally wrong. And he says, how different is football from that, really? Um, I don't necessarily agree with what he's saying, but that's what he said. He's a tremendously influential uh, thought leader, sort of public intellectual, definitely a writer who has the ears of lots of people. And that's a thing he said. And so so I, I noted it in the book. And you find you find softer versions of this. Um, President Obama uh, uh, had a, had an interview oh, in the final years of his presidency, and it was uh, Super Bowl weekend. And, you know, he, he, he's, he's a big sports fan. He's a big basketball fan, right? Remember the big uh, hoopla they'd always make over when he would do his uh, NCAA bracket picks for, mm-hmm. for, for, for the tournament, right? Yeah. Well, he had he a had great, great sports fan, no matter what you think of his politics, great sports fan. And he had a couple of daughters. And uh, on this in this interview in, um, um, you know, I want to say roughly 2015, 14, something like that. He he said, you know, if, if if I had sons, I'm not sure I'd want them to play football, and 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 he and he was concerned for their safety, and you know, I th- I think any dad can kind of relate to that, you know, you want, you 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 want your you want you want your kids to go out and be tough, and 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 maybe learn that from sports. On the one hand, hey, you don't want them to get hurt. That's the last thing you want. Might you know get a little banged up? That's okay, but you don't want them badly hurt. And uh, uh, it's it's quite a conundrum, and he and he gave voice to it. So 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 you see it at you see it at different levels. One one person compares it to you know it's the moral equivalent of dogfighting. The other one is saying you know I'm just not sure this would be for my kids. Right, and I always connected with that article because I mean, and, and it was written in the context of like the Michael Vick dogfighting scandal. And I you know growing up, I always wanted like to get I guess not gratitude for my coach, but like approval from my coach that I was like doing good. And like, I would always, I, I played the way I did, which was like running people over, going for the big hits and sacrificing my body because I looked for my coaches, like, you know, approval that I was doing a good job. And I felt like that was my role. So I do think that that is like a part of the sport and it does play a role in like the safety and like team over self kind of mentality, which can lead to, bad things especially in in my situation um but i just thought it was great that you put that in your book is to me it's one of the it, it gets you, you thinking you know like makes you think differently about the sport well you don't have to agree with malcolm gladwell but i think you have to admit he has a point right exactly yeah that, that's a good way to put it um so what amount of like collateral damage you think is like unacceptable for an activity you know because you know football obviously is basically a hundred percent chance that you're going to get hurt. Um, yeah, I don't let that. That's such a tough question, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you, 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 you don't want to get hurt yourself. You don't want your kids to get hurt. As I say, you don't mind them getting banged up a little bit, right? I mean, that's part of the experience, part of the learning, frankly. Um, um, uh, you know, how much is too much? I don't know. It's just, I, I think we have to start 
no matter what you think of football, if you're the biggest fan or if you have some qualms about it, I think you got to start with the acknowledgement that there's no such thing as a risk-free activity. And certainly football is not risk-free. Um, you step on the field, you have your st- your kids step on the field, there is some risk, right? It's just like, you know, every time you cross the street, there's some risk. Um, the, the, the question should be, you know, I, I don't know what's, you know, what's an acceptable level, what's not acceptable level, that's kind of debatable and, 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 and so forth. I think we should think all the time about how can we how can we make this this great sport as safe as possible without taking away the things that 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 make it great. And um, um, I don't have all the answers for that. And, and, and you know, I, I've heard some interesting ideas, but uh, it, it's a thing that, that football people ought to be willing to think about and experiment with. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of talked about this a little bit before, but, um, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, was drawn to the sport of football partially because he was the opposite of what it kind of embodied. You know, he was a, you you described him being like a a very sickly kid growing up with asthma. Um, But did he come up with the doctrine of strenuous life or was that like something that he just followed and embraced? Well, it it was all these things, right? So he was, he was, um, that, that was his most famous speech, one of his most famous speeches, but, but it was also very much in the air, some of the thoughts about it. And you're right. He grew up, uh, he was a boy in the, in the 1870s and he grew up scrawny and small and he had chronic asthma. It was, it was, his asthma was so bad. He had had such awful attacks. His his parents thought he was going to die. I mean, this was in an era when you didn't take it for granted that kids would reach adulthood and his asthma was so bad that, that, that really his, his his parents weren't sure he was going to make it. And then there's this great family legend though, that, that uh, they, 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 they tried everything to help him. And he, he was from a wealthy family. They had all kinds of means, all kinds of resources to draw. And they tried quack cures. There was one point where they actually had him smoking cigars because they thought it would help this little boy clear up his lungs. I mean, that's how desperate they were to try anything they could to help this kid. Well, there's this family legend. It's, it's actually, it's a true story. His sister tells it in, in, in her memoir where, where uh, little Teddy Roosevelt is summoned to his father's office. His father was also also Theodore Roosevelt, so he had senior and junior. And uh, senior summons junior to his office at, at, at a moment and says, um, you know, sort of acknowledges that he has all these health problems. And he says, you know, um, um, you, you just simply need to make your body. You need, you need, you need to, you need to make yourself stronger. And and Roosevelt throws back his head and says, "Then I'll make my body." And it's sort of a, sounds like a corny scene from a bad movie, but but that's that's what that's how his sister described what really happened. And and what happened is it, Roosevelt started going to a gym, like a YMCA, and working out. And the YMCA movement was 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 huge and growing and and popular at this point. You know, there there hadn't been 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 gymnasiums in in American cities before the Civil War. Now they're just popping up all over the place. And there's this idea that if you live in the city, and Roosevelt grew up in Manhattan, there was this idea that you know, you're not getting the sort of vigorous physical activity that the farm boys are getting. Right. And that, and that, and that, and that urban life with its, with its factories where you stand in line and, you know, you turn the widget on the assembly line all day long, this is unhealthy and it's making Americans weaker and flabbier and all these sorts of things. And so the solution in the minds of many people was, was go work out, go exercise. And Roosevelt gets caught up in this and he starts doing all kinds of exercises. And what, what ultimately happens is, he um, um, his asthma starts to recede and and it, it never goes away entirely, but but it becomes it be, even even in adulthood, 
it, it just doesn't become the handicap that it had been for him. And, and probably the phenomenon is, is one that many people know, which, which is people just outgrow their asthma. I mean, I had asthma when I was a kid and I, I outgrew it. Right, just kind of vanishes over time. With with Roosevelt, it seems like it just it just receded as a factor in his life while he was committing himself to physical fitness. And he drew a connection. He said he 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 thought that if if you worked out, if 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 you wanted to be fit, if you exercised as much as he did, he thought he thought you could overcome all kinds of handicaps. And and so that was his experience. And by the time he goes off to Harvard. He, 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 he becomes a fan of football as it's becoming popular and he sees some of his friends playing. He goes to the games and so forth. Um, he's still kind of small. Um, also, his, his, his eyesight is poor. Um, his vision isn't very good. So he takes up other kinds of sports like boxing and so forth. So he he was a really a, a great sportsman. And of course, when we think of him today as president, we, we think of him sometimes as, you know, the safari hunter and stuff like that. This is a guy who loved the outdoors. Um, you know, he ranched out west in the 1880s, uh, right, right as his political career is beginning and so forth. Of course, he fought in a war, which is one of the things that helped make him president. Um, but he was he was he was a tremendous advocate of physical fitness. And 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 he thought that he thought he thought the sports, you know, did some sports were better than others. Um, um, he didn't particularly like baseball, for instance, but but he thought sports were good. And he thought football was especially good for for um american kids you know he's he's famous for being one of the rough riders for um for going to to cuba in the spanish-american war having recruited this this regiment of 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 men who would go with him and 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 and, and there's there, there there's a popular story which which is basically true when when uh the uss maine blows up in the harbor of havana in 1890 1898 and the united states is headed to war with spain Roosevelt is working in Washington, D.C. in the government. He's, he's in the Navy Department. He quits his job, goes out to San Antonio, and recruits the regiment that would become the Rough Riders. And, and, and the popular story is that he goes out there, and what he wants to do is he wants to get cowboys and ranchers, the kinds of tough Western men he had met when he was ranching himself in the Dakotas. He wants to recruit them and bring them into his unit. And he thought, these, these are the sorts of tough men I want to surround myself with as I go and help my country win a war in Cuba. And all that's basically true. He did that. Um, if you read his memoir, though, which is called The Rough Riders, and it's a really great memoir, but if you read his memoirs, he's describing all this. He says, yeah, I, want, I said I want cowboys. I want ranchers. I want the men of the West. There's one other category of man he wants with him. He says he wants football players. He's looking for guys who played football in college because he thinks they're just as tough and they could help him uh, uh, perform well in, in Cuba. And, of course, that's what happens. And he sort of famously helps win the Battle of San Juan Hill. He is awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his bravery, and he comes out of that war uh, uh, as, as, as being talked about as possibly presidential timber. He's a war hero, and, and when, when, when he reflects upon what made him a war hero, there was certainly his personal bravery and his determination to, to do well and so forth, but he also knows, who did I surround myself with? He says, I surrounded myself with these tough men who helped me win a war. And that included football players. So he thought he thought he thought that football was 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 really in in, in this sense a, a, a positive social good. Yeah, and it seems like you know there's a lot of good that comes out of, of football. I think maybe you know when that mentality or kind of kind of becomes a problem is when you have like complete disregard for like the safety of 
other people or yourself. And I guess that could make you a good warrior, uh, you know, from a military standpoint, but from a athletic standpoint, it might not be the best approach, I guess. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, you know, I don't know what the solution, what the ultimate solution is to the problem football has today with concussions and so forth. But I will say this, I'm, I'm a, I'm a parent. I've got three kids that play sports. They played every kind of sport. And, uh, uh, you know, the youngest is, is, is a sophomore in high school now. So we, we've, we've seen it all. My oldest had to quit hockey because of concussions. Um, um, and that was such a sad thing because, because he loved the sport and, uh, he had one that was really bad and, and, and we, you know, we got it diagnosed and everything. And, and, and when he was ready to play again, we're like, okay, um, one more and you're done. And, and he, you know, he was on board with that. And about a year later, he had a second one. It was really bad. It was, you know, sort of, you know, a week in a dark room, right? It was, it was, you know, do nothing kind of stuff. And, um, and that ended it for him. And that, that was, that was sad to see my, my youngest son, uh, play JV football this year, uh, this fall. And he had a concussion too. It was not as bad as, as, as the one my, uh, uh, my, his older brother had, um, but he had one and he had one play. He was, he was playing, um, he was, he was, he was, uh, playing a, a defensive end and, um, and he actually knew he had it. He walked off the field. He, he knew he had one and, um, wasn't it bad. He recovered, he finished the season, but you know, you hate to see that. And as a parent, wow, you know, the, the next game he played, it was like, you know, do we really want him doing this? You know, you, you go to the hospital and the doctors start talking about what we're going to, you know, if his brain, if his brain was bleeding, we'd know it by now. I mean, it's like you're talking about a brain bleed. You know, it's like this is horrifying stuff. You don't want this on any kid, especially not your own. And so, so we're all concerned about safety. We're all thinking about. I will say the one one development I have seen in youth sports over the last, I'll say five or ten years, probably ten years or so, is that ten years ago, not many people were talking about concussions. Uh, you, you got a little bit about it, you know, in hockey leagues, you know, you learn how to deliver a hit, how to take a hit safely, that kind of stuff. And, you know, how to wear your equipment and so forth. Um, there is so much more awareness now about concussions and the problems they cause. And there, there are protocols and there are rules and you have to have doctor's notes and trainers and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, it still goes on. It's still a problem. We still need to think about, about player safety and how to improve it. I just get the sense that that we're much more up on the problem now than we used to be, and that's that's been a really a really positive development. Yeah, and I know in your book you said that Roosevelt expressed concerns of having his son play football. Um, and after reading this book, you kind of did you have any reservations for letting your kids play? Or yeah, it- I did. I totally did. I mean, after after writing this book, I you know I've always known I, I didn't play football growing up. I was more of a basketball player and. And, and, and so on. And, um, um, you know, where, 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 you know, you can get injured in basketball, but, but, you know, head injuries are not a, not, not a big thing in basketball, not, not, not like they are in other sports. Um, so it's kind of aware that, you know, this kind of thing could, could happen, but I'll tell you writing the book, um, which is dedicated to my, my, my three kids, um, writing the book just, just opened my eyes to the sorts of problems. And yeah, it made me leery. I mean, I, I on the one hand, I, I, I got a deeper appreciation for the sport and, 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 and all sports and what they can do for young people. And I'm, I'm, I'm better able to articulate why it's good for young people to play sports, right? It's just more, it's more than just mere physical fitness and health and so forth. Um, 
so I, 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 I once got, a, I, I once had developed a deeper appreciation for the game. On the one hand, on the other hand, I'm, 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 I'm super aware of the kinds of problems, and, um, and, and, and this, 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 this was part of the uh, dilemma Roosevelt himself faced because when he was president. His son was a freshman at Harvard who played on the football team. And you can read their correspondence. They were great letter writers, the Roosevelts. And, and you know, in one game, the, the son uh, broke his nose. And, and, and broken noses were pretty common back in those days. I mean, if you played college football, you pretty much broke your nose at some point. You know, they were not wearing, um, they were not wearing uh, helmets. They weren't wearing face mat. You know, they looked like rugby players. There were there were there was very little in the way of protective equipment. At any rate, uh, the son uh, broke his nose playing football, and he wrote this letter to his father saying it happened. And he was and he and he said and he said and you know I got right back out on the field. Right? He didn't let that. And you know he 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 was he was tough. He 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 wanted to tell his dad I was so tough. I I went back out and finished the game. Right. And Roosevelt's response to this is at once proud that he has this boy who is that tough, but also worried and then relieved when the season's over that that's as bad as it got. Right. And so so you, you experience everything at the same time. And, um, um, you know, he felt it. And I think I think parents today feel it. Yeah. I, to me, that that seems like a, an example of that dogfighting uh, example. Uh, in some way, he kind of was looking for his father's approval of yeah. expressing his toughness, you know, his gameness. What, what, boy, what boy does not want his father to approve of of his athletic performance, exactly, right? Or, yeah. Or not, you know, if, if not your father, the father figure of the coach, right? Right. Um, you, you, you want that approval and, 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 and they want to give it and they want it to be earned, right? And, 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 it, and but, but it's, it's, it's complicated. For sure. Um, while we were on the topic, as we kind of wrap up the uh, interview as well, uh, we talked about the lack thereof helmets. And I was wondering if you could talk about the evolution of equipment because I kind of formed an opinion after reading your book when people asked me, you know, like what if you took the face mask off or they, if they didn't wear helmets at all? I'm like, I always say it evolved for a reason because people were dying before. So right. I'm so, curious to hear so, your opinion. So so for, for many years, the, the players basically wore no protective equipment. They would they were college college football players in the in the early years of the 20th century were, were famous for having really long shaggy hair and this is like what substituted for a helmet right it was a little bit of insulation um, but they didn't wear helmets and the era of the leatherheads doesn't come along until the 1920s you do start seeing a little bit of protective equipment come into the you know 1905 1910 and so on. Um, the first thing that a lot of them did is they wore these nose guards because broken noses were so common. They looked like shoehorns you stick on your, you know, on your nose and you strap them around. They look, you see pictures of them, they look kind of ridiculous. Um, but it was an attempt to protect your nose from what was, what was one of the most common injuries that, that, that players suffered. And eventually this grew into helmets and face masks and, and, and so on you know, padding and, and, and the whole thing. And now, now you look at a, you know, an NFL player walking on the field on a, on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, this, this is like, this is like a, a night ready for battle, right. Um, with, with, with all the equipment. Um, I've, I've heard the theory that if you take away the face guard or, or, or the face mask or the helmet 
and and we 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 um that 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 safety would improve i think that's an interesting theory it's based a lot on the experience of rugby which um which does not they they don't wear helmets in rugby and they 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 seem to have fewer of the concussion and head injury problems but i but i i don't know i don't know what the answer to that is i think it's an interesting theory i don't know if it's true okay uh what do you think football will look like in the future I don't know. You know, part of me, part of me, thinks that that it'll actually be a little less popular. Um, and and by less popular, I mean, not that you know, Super Bowl won't be like the number one rated TV show of the year twenty thirty five or whatever. It very well might be. I just wonder if fewer people are going to play it. I wonder if if a smaller share of of the American public is going to participate in youth leagues and middle schools and high schools and that and that some of the athletes who would have played football in a different era are going to be drawn to other kinds of sports like soccer like basketball like track and field or or, or what have you and they're going to they're going to focus more on those so I, I, part of me wonders if if we're going to continue you know right 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 now i think football gets really some of the very best athletes that 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 our country produces, um, and it probably always will, but, but will fewer of them be playing and what will that mean in terms of the quality of the sport over time? I don't know, but that's, that's one thing I suspect is that, is a lot of people are going to shy away from the sport unless it solves this problem, unless, 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 unless this notion that, you know, this notion that uh, of rampant concussions and, 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 and long-term bad health effects of head injuries and so forth, unless that starts to dissipate through actual improved player safety, I think, I think something like that is probably likely. Is there anything at like the forefront of your, your thoughts that think that the NFL can change to make that safer? Yeah. So, so, so first of all, I, I was not a football player. I'm, I've always been a fan of it. I've been a player of it. So I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant to start suggesting changes. Like I'm, you know, who, who am I to go tell you how to play this game? Right. Um, having said that, you know, I've read some interesting proposals. Um, you know, they've, they've reduced injuries on special teams plays by, by changing the way they do kickoffs. I've heard about suggestions that, you know, maybe they should just eliminate special teams play entirely because special teams is where you see an awful lot of injuries. Um, um, there are a lot of proposals out there. I think they're worth noodling over. You also think about, um, you know, are, could, could, could better equipment um, um, help? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's true, but I, I, I could imagine it being true. Also, I've heard people talk about um, the way we train players in everything from from lessons in how to tackle and how to how to be tackled to um, improving improving um, uh, uh, workouts in such a way that make concussions um, um, less likely. I know, I know a guy who um, was a football player at the University of Michigan and he has some some theories about how you develop neck muscles that 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 that, that might be able to help with concussions. I don't know if any of that's true, but it all sounds interesting and and there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of ideas floating around out there. Um, I don't know if there's a solution that's as dramatic as, as a big rule change like creating a forward pass or taking it away or whatever that might be. But um, um, there, there there might be there might be some uh, some improvement some improvements on the margins. Okay. Yeah. Those, that's, those are great points. Um, 
just as we, we wrap it up, where can people find you online and, and uh, get access to your, your book that helped me so tremendously throughout my academic career? <laughs> well, thanks. So, so the book is called The Big Scrum. You can, you can, it's, it, you know, wherever books are sold, right? Amazon, uh, whatever it's, 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 it's in hardcover, it's in paperback. You can, you can get it any way you like. Um, I have a personal website, which is heymiller.com. That's H-E-Y Miller. Dot com and uh, I write for National Review. You can find my articles and podcasts on the website there, and you can always look up the Dow Journalism Program at Hillsdale College. So if you want to, someone wants to stalk me online, those are a few ways. I'm on Twitter too at uh, Hey Miller, H E Y Miller. Great. I'll link all those up in the show notes. And one final question that I'm interested to, to hear based off of our conversation, and I end this with most of my, my conversations, is uh, what's your definition of toughness? And like, how would you want your kids to uh, define toughness? Oh, that's a great question. You know, um, um, I said earlier, uh, sports can teach us things like uh, when, when you get knocked down, you need to stand back up. And, 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 and you, you, you need that experience to learn that thing. You, 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 you do not learn that from a book. You learn that on, on a playground and a playing field on a basketball court. You, you, you learn that from sports. That's the best way, one of the best ways. So I think toughness can be as simple as that. There's also, there's also mental toughness and uh, you can develop that in a lot of ways. You can develop it, you know, I suppose you can develop in a classroom with high stakes testing and so forth, but you can also develop it you know, by making a kid have to dribble down the court and shoot a basketball or making a kid have to, uh, you know, field a ground ball to shortstop and have to do that in front of his friends, in front of his parents, in a situation that matters where you have teammates who are counting on you to perform. That that creates uh, that creates mental toughness. There are all kinds of advantages to this. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with, with, with a study I discovered while I was researching the big scrum and I write about it a little bit. Um, this, this, this idea that, um, um, you know, when you ask a parent, why do you, why do you want your kids to play sports? Um, why do you, you know, drive them all around the state for a travel soccer club? Why do you go pick them up at nine o'clock at night after a scrimmage? Why do you, you know, what, why, why do we go to these great lengths to have them do these sorts of things? And, and the first thing you often hear parents say is, well, it's good for physical fitness, it's good for exercise, good for their health, that's all true. You probe a little bit deeper, you start hearing about intangibles, things like developing toughness, th things like um, um, learning, learning uh, teamwork, uh, learning how to be competitive, learning how to take instruction from a coach, um, learning how to win and lose with grace. Uh, all these sorts of lessons that 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 sports can teach us. Well, um, that sounds good. I think it's all true. But but you know, can you prove it's true? Well, I don't know. I did run across a study though that said um, it showed that uh, uh, Americans who play sports in high school make 15% more money over their course of their lives compared to Americans who do not play sports in high school. And, uh, well, why would that be true? Um, I don't know. There could be a lot of reasons why, but I, I, I suspect that part of the reason is because sports developed, develop in us, um, a competitive instinct. They, they develop in us a desire for achievement. Uh, they develop in us a kind of work ethic that you can, you can get parts of those things from other areas, but, but this, this, this but, but, but sports deliver them in unique ways and you see it show up and, you know, money's not, it, it, life is not all about making money, 
but it, it, it's it's a, it's a sign of of, of 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 something healthy. And by the way, um, um, people who play sports in high school are also more likely to vote. They're more likely to volunteer in their communities. There there are there are a range of indicators in which which this it, it, it suggests this is just a really healthy thing to do. And so um, um, you asked about toughness, and I've, I've I've maybe gone a little bit far afield, but but there's there's I think I think I think there's a kind of toughness uh, behind all of it, um, physical toughness, mental toughness. And, and a desire to to, uh, to to achieve. I love it, John. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, for sharing your knowledge on the evolution of football. It's just a topic I talk about a lot uh, frequently on the podcast. And thank you for writing the book in the first place because, uh, like I mentioned before, it was a large contributor to the success of my academic career, and I used it on multiple occasions. And for anyone who's like writing anything about concussions or safety in football or even any sport, it is like a freaking gold mine of like sources and information for uh, for writing papers or whatever you're doing. So thank you. Well, Ke- Kevin, thanks for having me on the show. I enjoyed it.